is a Momentum Media production. Investor Daily Uncut, your essential guide to the biggest news and headlines in financial services this week. Hello there, and thank you, of course, once again for tuning in to Investor Daily Uncut. And this is, of course, in our ESG Summit series, which we're running across from our previous event. Um, Today, I'm really happy to be joined with James Harwood. He's a Senior Portfolio Manager at Russell Investments. James, great to have you in the studio. It's great to be here again, David. And I was going to say as well, it's uh, it's not the first time you've been in this studio either. So it's great to have the insights of, I guess, last year's summit, but two, bringing it back into 2022. A lot's happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's been so much happening with ESG. Yeah. I think uh, also in the macro economy, yeah, the, the oil price, uh, it's, it's been challenging quite a quite a lot of ESG strategies, actually. And yeah, it's just good to be talking again yeah. um, about you know, why they're still relevant. It's insane. Like we were just saying just before this as well, how much news there's been in the last year, especially, but just how many things have, I guess, all now have an impact to ESG, really kind of all can boil, boil back down to that, um, those three letters anyway, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm coming a day after the uh, the RBA's rate increase, and um, you know, I think only two or three months ago that didn't seem that likely, and uh, you know, that that inflationary interest rate environment has, has massively changed, and and that's definitely having a yeah an, an impact on some ESG strategies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, there's so many things that we can cover. We've got luckily got a good set of topics which we can go into, but it is very interesting as well. It might be quite good to maybe touch on the IBA um, later on if we can fold that into these two, because like you said, that was something which once again, unexpectancy was was hitting the market more than we've thought for the Aussie ways. So that's quite interesting. Um, I will kick off with this though. It's always good to get a bit of an idea of the current investment landscape. So I guess really how ESG funds faring in the current environment from a risk to return perspective. And you know we can talk about that market volatility, the interest rates, which we just mentioned as well, and I guess the uh, all-important inflation that we're seeing with that too. Yep. Yeah. So look, I've certainly highlighted in some of the pieces that I've written for Investor Daily, you know, that a lot of ESG strategies have growth biases, or you know, particularly the ESG equity strategies tend to have that kind of growth bias. And what we've seen, you know, the last few months is that has been out of favour. There's been a a move into more kind of value sectors of, of the mm. market. So particularly energy, energy stocks have, have been big outperformers, you know, on the back of, well, firstly, the, you know, the rising oil price, and then it really compounded the Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine compounded a lot of the trends that were already moving in the marketplace. So there's been a real shift in the dynamics, you know, driven by inflationary pressures and higher interest rates. Absolutely. And it's it's just interesting to sort of see those all amalgamate at one time too. So we're kind of spinning many plates at once, if anything, with what's going on. It's quite interesting. Look, as, a, as a portfolio manager, you're kind of going to be on the front line with boots on the ground with this stuff. I'm really interested to get an idea of you know how Russell Investments do design ESG solutions and also, I guess, construct and manage those. Uh, maybe there's a few examples you could give us. Yeah, look, um, so I've I've mentioned about two kind of key factors if you like in you know, of, that, that dominate equities so the value versus growth you know value um, is, is typically not the place that that ESG funds go into and they have that growth bias so you know long duration stocks um, that, that have done very well in a low interest rate environment suddenly quite challenged the valuations are, are very challenged when long-term interest rates are going up so you know you, you've seen a big tech sell-off in, in the US, but also a lot of the tech, tech names in Australia as well. 
In terms of you know how we design funds, uh, we're always conscious of those factor risks, and and we try and uh, neutralize them as much as possible. So we we don't want to design products that have got a like a heavy growth bias. Rari, our ESG ETF, is probably a good example there that um, doesn't have the the same kind of growth biases that some of the other ESG ETFs do in the marketplace. Rari, we we kind of get there by a yield attribute that goes into the index construction mm. for Rari. So you've now got uh, we've we've recently rebalanced the the fund as well. Uh, it's got ninety five stocks that, that are all all score well on ESG characteristics, but they by taking in the the income or the yield, we get more of a you know a value flavor to the portfolio, and and that that means it's very different to just as I say some of the other. ESG ETFs out there in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing which I always quite find quite interesting at the moment, and you mentioned with those kind of tech sell-offs that we're seeing, in- innovation is part of this ESG ecosystem as well. To be able to develop this, we have to have the idea, right? We need to understand what the idea is, put that into market and get the foundations for it. Especially in the energy sector, like I think on previous podcasts, we mentioned that there's an incredible amount of budget being put behind large companies and you get that foundation and you get the infrastructure right, you can then move forward with that plan. With those tech companies, though, it's really interesting because you you see them as the monopolized innovators, right? They've always been there. They're there for a reason. Something like, for example, Netflix, which, for example, when they crashed in the market uh, for a very different reasons, I'm sure most people listening know about that. But do you always find as well that innovation maybe now is accelerating faster than we're able to keep up with? Yeah, look, I think in you know in tech space and and if if we say concentrate on the energy sector, you know that requires a lot of lead time. So you know you're seeing that in Europe now that you know the reliance of you know, a lot of countries on Russian gas has meant that um, you know they're suddenly kind of quite exposed. Um, you know, given what's happening, mm. you know, with the Ukraine war, in terms of innovation, you know, yes, it's going to be extremely important to lower carbon emissions of different countries. But it, it, there is that long lead time, so you know I think it's kind of different to to say a Netflix, which which mm. you know can can make things happen much more quickly than say in the energy space, mm. and um, you know so I think you've got to be mindful of kind of the lead times that are required. So I think we will see a, an acceleration into the, you know this energy transition, yeah. driven by you know, you know countries realizing they're very exposed to to geopolitics, you know from the likes of Russia, etc. But yes, it's going to take quite a while for them to actually put plans in place to meet their energy needs going forward. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I think also, you know, everyone's talking around time horizon for impact or impact horizon, you can call it too. So to sort of see that as an investor, you know, having a look at what's happening in the market, lifting up the lid of what's in the actual space, your impact horizon can be very, very, very depending on where it's going. But it's interesting. It's an open and an ongoing beast in its own right. It's quite actually good to know this as well, um, James, but I I was quite curious around the ESG managed account side. I know Russell has some experience being in the managed account space, of course, um, but I would quite like to understand a bit more around that ESG component of that. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a great question. Um, yeah, the, the managed accounts have actually been a you know, big su- success story for Russell Investments in Australia in that kind of the retail marketplace uh, we've got, I think, over $1.1 billion now in, in AUM that, that's grown from zero in, in, in a short space of time. We're really excited that we, we've just launched um, an ESG version uh, of our managed accounts. As you know, a lot of ESG funds um, have been kind of very equity-based. This gives um, investors, you know, a, like a balanced fund style exposure. Uh, and, and all of the all of the managers and, and all of the funds that, that that have gone into the design of this product uh, score well on ESG characteristics. 
we do have some of those darker green kind of managers. So we've got a, an exposure to a fund called Impacts. That's a, a global equity fund that that has you know quite dark green ways of building the portfolio. But there's there is the the kind of the risk characteristics that I mentioned before. So, you know, we're not putting all our eggs in, in that kind of dark green basket. We want to manage and, you know, not have too much exposure to a particular factor. Mm. So, yeah, we, we've designed, uh, we've got a number of funds that have gone into this this structure. Like a lot of managed accounts, we have a, a direct Australian shares component too. So, that's really important to um, a lot of investors. They want to have the direct ownership of shares to get franking credits, et cetera. So yeah, we're, we're really excited about the, you know, launching this fund. Um, it's, it's live on one platform at the moment. It's going to be live on another in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, we, we do expect to see, you know, good flows of, of assets into that fund as well. Absolutely. I mean, the products have always been quite well established towards the advice space in per se, but I guess with that and towards the ESG SMA, um, it's interesting to note, does, because that gives more access does that make it harder to monitor, to screen, to be able to actually control what happens in that space? Is it easier on the aspect because you've got select funds that you know where they are and what they're invested in? Yeah, look, it's a hard one to to control at the total portfolio level. So, you know, I think one of the important things of, of any ESG product is is kind of clear guidelines on, on what, what it delivers. So, you know, we don't want to overstate a, a product's ESG credentials and, you know, there's a lot of commentary and concern around greenwashing you know where we've designed this this fund is to be that, that kind of medium shade of green so it, it's designed to to meet the kind of ESG objectives of the majority of ESG minded investors it's it's not in the super dark green space um mm-hmm. like the impact style but yeah we've researched all of these managers there's there's some active Aussie and Aussie equity and Aussie bond managers in there as well and you know the, the overall result is to to give investors are you know a, a great product and mm. uh, it's actually the first ESG SMA that's been been launched on a platform right. so um yeah we 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 feel that we're thought leaders in in this space and uh you know we're hopefully it should do well that's awesome no it's great it's always interesting to sort of see because I know a lot of advisors their clients come to them and there's always a you know everyone's moral compass swings one way to another or at least there's always a fly on the windscreen with something um it's great to have a diversified but I guess accessible product on that on that level so that's really interesting to know james i'm gonna we're gonna zoom out and take a bird's eye view of the world for a little bit so the esg outlook on the global insights and i guess more generally what's happening we touched very briefly earlier on the russian ukraine conflict um Mm. still very much in the wake of you know evolving at these stages but how is this all impacting and there's a there's a bunch of things we can talk about here such as the energy crisis in europe as well which is linked to those maybe what would be quite good if we can understand the impact but also try and see where they connect to everything on that list as well yeah, look, uh, maybe we'll start with Russia. And, mm. um, you know, I think, um, you know, when, when Russia uh, invaded the Ukraine, it took a lot of managers and also asset owners by surprise. So Russia, if we stick with equities, you know, is part of or was part of the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. So, you know, most emerging markets, many global equity funds had exposure to Russia and, and still have that exposure because, you know, Russian assets have been been frozen really since since late February, right. since um, the invasion took place because of all the sanctions um, that have been been imposed on Russia. So it, it's made people realize, you know, what constitute a, a good kind of ESG strategy. And it's definitely changing. You know, and I think maybe if we think about defense stocks, um, you know, mm. they, they typically have 
have often been excluded from ESG strategies. But right. I think there's now a recognition that, well, you know, defense in this world of heightened geopolitics, um, maybe it's something that we need to reconsider. You know, is there a place for for them in in, in kind of other funds, you know, even ESG funds, given there's like, you know, a, a defense aspect that that we all need to recognize. And, you know, clearly that's a, an ongoing theme, re-China for, for Australia. So, so look, it, it's it's changed the way we think about um, a lot of aspects um, around exposures for, for the funds that we invest in. Uh, you know, and as I say, it's hard to do anything right now in Russia because all the assets are frozen. But, but, you know, I don't think you're going to see any funds you know, re-established positions mm. there. It, it's going to be a case of trying to exit when we can. It's really interesting to see. And, and this has come at a very opportunistic time, I guess, as an ESG environment where we're learning about these new things. We're understanding how to handle certain situations with a more green hat on our heads. And it's always interesting when, say, for example, the invasion took place or even in a war scenario, how would that actually impact in towards a, uh, a more ESG minded world or someone that's looking for the sustainability or the governance or the environmental impact of this too? So mm. it's always unfolding. And this is what I love about this space because it's mm. just we're learning as we go, which is which is good. But we're also analyzing and remembering how that impact has actually had an impact, uh, which is awesome. It's good to see. Um, I wanted to very briefly also understand a bit more around active ownership. And, and I know that you think that's becoming more and more important. Yeah, look, for sure it is. Um, I, th- I think uh, yeah, maybe two or three years ago, ESG funds were, were all about, well, what what um, areas of the market are you going to not have exposure to? You know, So the exclusion side of, of ESG investing. I, I think you know, the landscape is changing now whereby people recognize that that actually owning stakes in companies and trying to influence change is actually a, a more effective way of, of kind of affecting change or, you know, affecting a lower carbon economy. And, and look, you know, Mike Cannon-Brooks, um, you know, stake in AGLs, that, that's a classic, very live example that he's got an 11% stake in that company because he doesn't want to see the demerger happen and, and wants to really accelerate the decarbonization of, of the power grid from from AGL. So we, we saw the same last year uh, with ExxonMobil. Uh, we had a, an activist um, investor there that acquired shares, wanted seats on the board of, of Exxon. Right. Uh, engine um, number one was the, the activist owner out of New York. We voted um, for the engine number one directors during the proxy vote last year in 2021. And, you know, being good fiduciaries of the you know uh, of the assets that we're running is is increasingly important and you know we we've definitely seen asset owners increasingly expect more from active ownership so making sure that we're we're voting our proxies we're we're members of lots of different uh, investor groups that are trying to you know, affect you know good for the you know from companies uh, Clim- climate action 100 plus would be mm. one of the most influential from an environmental perspective and, and yeah, being good at, at good fiduciaries of assets via a, a solid active ownership program that that's that's really essential for any big asset manager now. Absolutely, and it's it's interesting because of like you said with the proxies that have been voted in as well. But to have the uh, before it was always to have a long term view and have an idea of how the the market's changing. Whereas now it's decisions that can be made today which have that impact later on also. So there's almost mm. like a, a two way channel coming into this one direction, right? Uh, yeah, which is super interesting to understand as well. I guess that also to that point, there are some blurring of the lines between core uh, non non ESG and ESG solutions. So maybe it would be quite interesting to learn a bit more about that. But I don't think 
that blowing of the lines where it will go away with investors who aren't willing to tolerate the higher risk characteristics of darker green ESG products, for example. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, you know, with if you like, with core core funds that that aren't marketed as as ESG, they've always had typically quite strong governance. You know, the active managers that's one of the strengths that you get from from active management, and then the active ownership program that you get through most funds means that you know you you are getting some semblances of, of ESG in most funds, certainly at, at Russell anyway. Mm. Probably where it's different is for ESG dedicated products, they would typically have specific objectives around ESG. So uh, an example would be some of the low carbon funds that I run. They go into our ESG SMA as well, but they have specific targets around lowering the the, the carbon emissions relative to a benchmark. And, right. and this is the kind of stuff that's going to be become more important with, with net zero. We've signed up to net zero a year ago. We're starting to set net zero targets for 2025 and beyond and um you know but these funds have dedicated esg objectives that said it's it, you know they're not necessarily dark green in in what they do mm. you know we do hold um some stocks that other more darker green funds might not do and that's where that kind of blurry line that's what you get when you look at kind of lighter kind of green esg products and and the non-ESG products. Yeah. But really, I think you know, the, the message is really we have to be very clear on how we market and you know, market these products and, and we never want to overpromise to investors what, what they're going to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you think also that that blur of the lines comes as we do progress with more education and, and I guess the general public also have a more of a general understanding of how ESG evolves? Do you mm. think that would then diminish that worry or at least that concern? Yeah, look, I mentioned it actually in your conference down in Melbourne. I think um, really there's there's not no one that really wants to invest irresponsibly. I think it then comes back to risk tolerances. Mm, you know, I think yeah. uh, a, a lot of the, the the retail ESG funds are quite dark green. They exclude a lot of areas of the market, right. and um, you know, a lot of investors are not willing to tolerate that level of risk. And you know, excluding a lot of energy would have really hurt performance for some ESG funds more recently and um so yeah look i think it does come back down to that that risk reward trade off between esg and returns and um you know I, I think for for advisors that's the the challenge for them is to kind of understand products a little bit more in terms of you know the risk return and also where they sit on that that kind of shade of green spectrum absolutely yeah it's really interesting to just hear the amount of advisors having these conversations now and they have been having them for a while it's not something which has just sprung up out of nowhere it's been in that conversation for a while now i guess also this leads really well to the sort of near segment that we have in this podcast too but um, what are clients looking for and there's a bunch of different uh things and there's probably different caveats towards what they're looking for and all of that but what are you finding over there on the front line yeah, look, what we've started to see is, you know, there is, there's always going to be this, this darker green impact style product that's going to suit um, a particular subset of, of investors. You know, that, that's going to grow, but it, it's still relatively niche, I think, because, you know, those products do incur a lot more risk. You know, what we're seeing increasingly is clients looking for yeah, a medium sh- shade of green solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they want to invest, you know, more responsibly. As, as we know, you know, Australians have been hit by bushfires, by floods. They want more from their their superannuation money from their investments, but they don't necessarily want to to take that kind of dark green level of risk. So, it's looking for more from their from their managers, um, but to give them that without kind of um, 
giving them too much risk um, from their assets. So th- I think that's really why we're you know designing a lot of funds in that medium shade of green yeah. um, space. You know, we th- we think that's the natural kind of growth area as more and more investors just want that that kind of ESG solution without what like they. The, the excessive levels of risk. Yeah, for sure. And like like you said, you know, there's been a few uh, very milestone moments that have happened over the past few years, particularly with the bushfires and the flooding. It's very on, you know, hits home, literally, some of them. Um, mm. So it's very in front of their faces in terms of how that impact can have a, a direction or at least, I guess, some kind of connotation to how they think about their life and their future investment. I guess that that makes it one of the probably more emotional and personal type of investment classes out there at the moment also with that. Yes, it does. Yeah, and you know, I think we've got the the election coming up in you know a couple of weeks, and mm. and that that's a you know an important agenda item you know in a lot of lot of seats for for the electorate. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely the case that ESG remains quite personal. I think that's that's the challenge for advisors is finding those suitable products that that broadly align with the the values of of their clients. As I say, I, I would I would encourage advisors to to try and understand the risks of any product they're they're putting clients in, and also think about you know the risk return versus kind of shade of green trade off. And uh, you know it, it's not easy. Uh, it, there's there's a plethora of different products out there. You know we certainly believe that you know our our ESG solutions on the whole meet, you know meet the the ESG objectives of of kind of most clients. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and and to that point, James as well. Look, I I really appreciated the whole on the ground, and I guess a very very um, understood way of how the psychology of ESG works within the investment landscape. So this is really good. I know and I know Russell Investments have been big champions of that for a while now. So it's been incredible to talk to you today about this also. But I look forward to the next one. I'm sure we'll have you back in the studio again sometime soon, right? Thanks, David. No, no, it's been great to speak to you, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. And for you out there listening, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have you listening to this ESG Summit series. If you haven't had the chance, we do have our previous episodes online before. So do give those a listen if you want to actually have a chance to look at different types of, uh, I guess, niche kind of conversations within this asset class. Um, And of course, look, if you have any feedback for us, it's editor at investordaily.com.au. And until then, have a great day ahead and I'll see you next time.